Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the Square Ball Podcast, episode 180. It's with Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees when you mention the Square Ball with 20% off for key workers at the moment. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Whilst we still await the resumption of the football, you can find everything you need TSB-wise on our website. That free colouring book still available for you. If you want to download it, print it off and have a bit of a scribble to pass the time uh, during these boredom, uh, boredom hours. There's mugs on there as well, links to the merchandise, all at the squareball.net. Well, for this podcast, boys, all things being equal, we should have been sat here celebrating our promotion. We would be a Premier League club by now. It's Tuesday the 5th of May as we record. 30th anniversary of our promotion at Bournemouth. And yet here we are still in the EFL and no football going on. How do you feel? Yeah, I didn't realise quite why I was grumpy until I had a proper look on Twitter and I realised everyone else was grumpy too. And it was fine, wasn't it? I, um, I sanded the door instead, put some undercoat on, even went back and put a coat of paint on it later in the day. So, I mean, it was still a fun day, wasn't it? It was just as good in many ways. Probably feeling arguably better today than I would have done had we actually gone up on Saturday. I think I would probably still be dealing with the hangover. So that's one benefit, is that I don't feel horribly wrecked. It was very disappointing with Saturday. I was like you, Michael, in that I was in this fog all day and I was like, I couldn't figure out quite why. And then, yeah, same thing, went online and thought, oh, bloody hell, it should have been today. Because I've kind of lost track of the calendar, you know, the passing weeks, but then suddenly the end of the season week came around and there you are thinking... It should have been us, and it would have been. It feels like it would have been, doesn't it? It certainly does, having not had to witness it. I'm sure if we were there, we would have seen us uh, us falling apart and probably needing a, a point on the last day. I think, I can't remember, it might have been Sky did a simulation of a, of the final day in Football Manager. They've been doing it week by week. And did you see what happened in that? I think it was that we were ahead of Forest going into it, and then we had two men sent off and lost 3-1. 
But then we went up because Forrest could only draw nil-nil. So I thought that's exactly the sort of thing that would have happened as well. An absolutely nail-biting climax to it. So in our, in my head, though, it was on Saturday, it was a glorious sunny day at Ellen Road. We were spanking four goals in and parading the trophy around the ground. Worth adding to that one as well, that uh, Forrest missed a penalty, missed a virtual penalty in the 87th minute at the City ground, which would have sent them up. And somebody tweeted us at the Square Ball account saying, now imagine if we had been in Ellen Road learning that Forrest had got a penalty in the 87th minute that would deny us promotion. Could you imagine what that would have been like? I feel like I know exactly what that would be like. I feel we've been there before in one way or another. And it does feel like now we are leaning a lot more towards no football returning. It's one of these things we've been back and forth on across these last seven weeks or thereabouts that football seems to be finding itself in a bit of a squeeze now. And we know that the EFL, because Rick Parry, the EFL chairman, Sean's super replacement, has been speaking today. And a couple of things we've learned. Number one, the season cannot go beyond the end of July. And the other thing is that he's absolutely determined that three teams should go up to the Premier League. It was a big relief to see him popping up on that Zoom call today because a year ago it would have been Sean Harvey, maybe a little bit further back because I suppose we knew he was leaving. But yeah, we're not too distant from the idea of Sean Harvey sitting there when I'm sure he would basically have said, yes, we have a big problem, we've got no money. And asked what they want to do about it. He says, just give us more money. And that would be it. Whereas instead we've got um, Rick Parry actually talking quite sensibly. It is a great relief to hear somebody with some influence saying that parachute payments are an evil that needs to be eradicated and that although we need short-term bailouts and uh, and we need plans to, to sort things out before this July 31st cut-off date, which is all to do with player contracts um, ending, but is also looking further to that and saying that we need to, to reset and we need a plan for the next two years and three years and uh, and holding the the Premier League's feet to the fire a little bit. One of the other things he was saying was that um, the Premier League have promised that they will help the football league clubs financially if they can get back to playing. And uh, he was kind of saying that the discussions of, of what money can trickle down from the top haven't really got much further than that. But sort of getting that kind of thing on, on the record is very useful. Through these comments, I was trying to read them and think, if this was coming from Sean Harvey, would I agree with it? And I just don't think he would have said it, would he? No. He'd have been trying. He'd have. He'd have been at the moment, kind of saying, "Oh well, we're, it's all about the clubs. It's nothing to do with me. I'm just going to wait, and I'm gonna, just going to listen to what other people say. Then I'm going to say that, and I'm still getting paid, so I don't really care about the lack of money in the football league. As far as I'm concerned, my bank's still getting topped up every month, so it's absolutely fine. I mean, talking about the parachute payments being eradicated. I mean, I'm all in favour of that. You know that it'll come and bite us just when we need them, probably, as these things tend to go. But joking apart, they are a scourge on the modern game. And that's the problem, isn't it, between the Premier League and the Football League? It's that gulf that football hasn't yet managed to reconcile the financial difference between the Football League, certainly the Championship, and the wealth in the Premier League. It's just too big a gap. And there is an argument for saying, right, we cut the parachute payments completely, spread that money out, and um, make the bottom leagues a little bit more prosperous and then make the championship and the Premier League lower end to an extent cut its cloth accordingly. This is where football just needs to restructure because the parachute payments are only needed because the second you get in the Premier League, you pay all of your players who were not necessarily that brilliant in the championship 50% more and everyone you sign earns 30 grand a week as a minimum, which they don't necessarily deserve. And that's the problem with it. It's that 
parachute payments shouldn't need to exist because football shouldn't be so bloody ridiculous with it. But unfortunately, the system as it is, it's necessary because otherwise clubs come down and they have to, they're in the position of having to sell every single Premier League player. Unless you see a system where everyone has massive wage drops built into the contracts. But you'll, you'll probably always get clubs who are willing to gamble on not putting those in, which players will go for. Yeah, it feels like there's a real sort of simple solution to the financial black hole that is facing football now, which is don't pay football players more than your entire revenue. That's the the problem. And so if you're looking for a, a solution to, to how football can come back and be more sustainable, that's pretty much the, the thing to look at. It's just if if you're taking in 100 million and your wage bill for the footballers is 120 million, don't don't do that. And this is the the chance, and it sounds like Rick Parry is uh, is heading that way, and a few other people to say some kind of salary cap or well, yeah, a salary cap just purely in the club's own interests, because this is the opportunity to say, you know, if something happens, you can't continue to function. Whereas if you were structured a little bit more sensibly, you could probably continue without needing a government bailout or a Premier League bailout or a broadcaster bailout or whoever is going to be bailing out the football clubs. Um, And there is already the salary cost management protocol in leagues one and two. So it's, it's not as if it can't happen in football. It's just, we always have the the reluctance where it's like, oh, but then, you know, Harry Kane might go and play in Italy and then, you know, what are we going to do with the Premier League if it doesn't have Harry Kane in it? And it's like, well, Harry Kane just might have to not earn, a, you know, £100,000 a week anymore. And I think this is the opportunity to maybe get that message to footballers who I don't think as a, as a, as a breed in total they are necessarily greedy they're just offered all this money. And so this is the, the time to say, if we stopped offering you this, would that be okay? And nobody in Italy is going to be able to afford to sign Harry Kane anyway. So you've kind of got the players in a, a bit of a corner that it doesn't need to be done in a, a bullying way. But if it's done across the board and everyone says, look, we have to come up with some way of not giving players more money than is actually coming into the game. Now is the time to, to do it. And we might end up with a, um, a fairer sport to watch in the, the future because the teams might actually be more evenly matched and more competitive. It's a really interesting stress test of the whole industry, I think. And it's failed. Yes. Well, we're not out, quite out the other side of it yet, though, are we? But one thing we have seen is that football is resuming in Germany um, in the next 10 days, albeit under fairly you know, stringent conditions. No sign of it returning to this country just yet. We're yet to I mean, by the time this comes out, within a few days, we should have more of an idea due to the uh, the government's plans. But Greg Clark, the FA chairman, has said that he fears uh, football fans won't be returning to stadiums anytime soon. So it'll be interesting to see how clubs fare without the crowds and what they do to absolve that blow. Yeah, the whole thing is, is difficult. Germany are talking about restarting, but then there's also been positive COVID-19 tests at Cologne. And then I think the entire squad at Bundesliga 2's, one of their least pronounceable teams. I always want to say it's Erzeberger Avenue or whatever the fuck they're called, bless them. Um, but their entire squad and staff have gone into quarantine again because they've got a, a positive test there. So there's this this problem that um, I think a lot of players 
starting to be the voices of, of saying they feel like even going back to training might be a little bit too soon because you put a few teams in motion and then you get a positive test and they have to go back again and you know a positive test it doesn't end there a positive test means somebody is ill and they're ill with a virus that is killing people and um it's interesting the uh it was marvin sordell the the former player is um come out and said that there needs to be a a way for for players who for example if they live with their parents and their parents are vulnerable if they've got pregnant partners or they might have underlying health conditions of their own he said he's a a mild asthmatic to say we're not comfortable going back to play yet and that's even before you consider having crowds in the stadium so although um there is a lot of uh, urgency being generated as we've discussed before generated by the the need to get games on the television and then i'm fairly sure that when the uh exit strategy is explained at the the weekend i think it's due on sunday a lot of that is going to be well the football's going to be back on the telly and that'll make everybody feel better all those things are happening and the breaks is not just that the the fans won't be there but um a number of players saying actually fuck that although i think the thing with the players as well at the moment is that they are in a privileged position of still receiving good salaries for it if all of a sudden you know the clubs went to premier league footballers who were not too keen and said well what we can do is, if you don't want to play, we can furlough you and you will earn £2,500 a month. Do you think that's okay? <laughs> you cannot come back if that's what you would prefer, which is essentially what people in other industries are going to have to do if they're told you are back to work. Everyone else is going to have to suck it up, essentially. I mean, you're asking people to make a choice between a wage and a life. In some ways, I thought it was interesting that Simon Jordan last week did raise the, the spectre of... Um, corporate manslaughter charges if somebody does die because of uh, an infection that they picked up after being told to go back to training and playing by a, a football team. And that's probably a, a real concern as well. You will be asking some players to, to weigh it up, kind of what is your health actually worth? And they are in the privileged position of having the, the money they've already earned can cushion them uh, in that decision in a way that it, it can't for a a supermarket worker or a factory worker but the the principle it's one of those things where the principle remains the same it's do you feel comfortable going back to work it'll be interesting to see how it works in germany because the fact that there are these infections already there and i noticed um solomon kalu was suspended as well because it basically he was seen shaking hands with people and then barging in on medical appointments at the ground and stuff like basically if you get some players being dicks then it ruins the whole thing and the idea that they're being very distant at the moment is just about acceptable when you're training, but at some point you have to accept there is going to be a lot of close contact between players and not players from within one camp either because that's not how you can play football. Yeah, it was interesting. There's a good interview by Katie Wyatt at The Telegraph, who is a solid alumni of BBC Radio Leeds, interviewed um, the Bay Munich women's team, Simone Boy, um, about them being back in training. And she said that there's no tackles, there's no contact equipment is being disinfected constantly so they, they kind of have a setup where players are going like a small group of players are going to one coach doing a routine and then they move on to the next coach while the first one disinfects all the equipment so the next lot can come and do their routine and they kind of do it like like stations at um at subway where you you know you you get the different things from different counters and uh, one of the things she said is it's more weird, uh, the quote is, it's more weird not being able to hug your teammates 
uh, we didn't see each other for a month or more. So even there, though they're all back at the the training ground together, they they can't you know just give each other like a welcoming hug. And it's it's a it's a strange atmosphere that kind of suggests that it might be a little bit too soon. If it's not safe to hug somebody, why are you playing football with them? Yeah, the description of the training sessions sounds a million miles away from a game of football. Is what I took from it. Returning to the Premier League once again, and we need to focus specifically on the bottom six, who we are very much in danger of replacing in the football pyramid. And they've turned out to be a bunch of big crybabies about the prospect of playing on a neutral ground due to this, you know, the sporting integrity uh, argument is the one that they're making. That's a lot of bollocks, isn't it? And the health. And they're also very, they're more worried than the other teams about the health of everyone as well. They want it to be safe and maybe it can't be safe and maybe they shouldn't be relegated because it can't be safe and it can never be safe to relegate them. So it's better everyone's just safe when we all stay where we are. Seems to be their argument. It is bollocks. Um, the quotes from Paul Barber, the, the Brighton chief executive, saying basically the argument comes down to that they have to play some of the top teams. They have to play Liverpool and Man City and couple of others and they're going to have to play them in neutral stadiums without a crowd whereas other teams got to play them at home with crowds and he says he's saying that even without a crowd um, we would have a home advantage if we got to to play them at the Amex and I think he just needs to remember and this is I mean if you've read my evening post column on Tuesday this is basically what I said 28,000 people have died so things have changed. Like the, there is a big situation in the country, Mr. Barber, that says you can't do things tomorrow the way you did them two months ago. So the fact that Norwich played Liverpool at Carroll Road and beat them, didn't they, is irrelevant now because we can't do it. If Norwich had to play them tomorrow, they couldn't do it. Nobody can do it. It's just we can't do things the way that we did them before. So mithering on about oh, you you had a different way of playing uh, Liverpool when they came to your place don't matter it's it's absolutely the smallest thing and there was a good I, I can't remember which um, uh, which writer there's been so many articles flying around but made the point that everybody goes on about marginal gains and how coaching is all predicated on what small advantage you can get and that those advantages can outweigh home advantage um, which doesn't even seem to be that big a deal West Ham certainly haven't got a, a much better record at home and if West Ham were that bothered about playing at home they wouldn't have demolished Upton Park in the first place but but surely now's the time to to say to your coaches well go on we were talking about Graham Potter last week who started talk, referring him to himself as some kind of uh, Regency King if if we is so fucking brilliant at football coaching then we can come up with some way of counteracting the fact that we we are not playing at the Amex in this game and get over it basically and it's not unprecedented I, it's a it's a, a weird comparison but because the thrust of my column I kind of used uh, Trevor Cherry as a bit of a bit of moral gravity and remembering when he was manager of Bradford City on the day of the the fire at Valley Parade which is 35 years ago and that when when Bradford City came back to playing the next season they played their home games at Elland Road then they played some home games at Leeds Road Huddersfield's old stadium then they played they set, they kind of settled into Oddsall for a little bit and then at the start of the next season they started playing their home games at Oddsall but then in December Valley Parade was ready for them to go back and play so they went and played the rest of their home games at Valley Parade so you're talking about four different stadiums being used in two seasons for one club's home games I don't think there was much 
mithering from anybody then it's like, oh no it's you know one team's got a slight advantage and rah, 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 rah. everybody just accepted that there'd been an absolutely terrible disaster at, at valley parade and that they had to do things differently if things were going to get done and if brighton and west ham think they're fooling anybody with this i'm just going to resort to saying that they can fuck off and dan you said at the start it's like we're, we're trying to replace the bottom six well let's replace all fucking six of them <laughs> That was where I came to by the end of this as well. I was like, well, if they're that bothered about playing, why don't they just never play again? They can just stop being a football club, for all I care. If they're, if they're that bothered about not, about not play, being up on a play, fair playing field, you know, are they going to uh, request that games are postponed in future if, you know, someone's goalkeeper pulls a hamstring in the warm-up? They're going to be like, oh, well, that, that's not really fair, is it? Because I know a while ago you thought he was going to be playing and now it's he's not, so we'll, we'll just wait for him to be fit again. And the other thing with this, with this thing about playing you know, at neutral venues, they're not, admittedly, they're not going to be able to play, for example, Liverpool at the Amex, but they're also not going to be playing at a full Anfield either. So that's, the swing on it is not as great as they're, as they're having you believe here. It's not like it, a complete reversal of it. It's just play, it's like playing a, a bit of an odd training match and all of these games will be a strange atmosphere, but it seems to be the best and only option they have. I would say as well, you, you mentioned on the, the first part about just relegating a lot of them, Massimo Cellino throughout all this, uh, whatever you, you make of that particular maniac, he has stuck to his guns quite firmly and he does not want Brescia to play any more games in Syria this season. And he says, we get relegated. Well, we get relegated. That's where we were when it happened. I don't think we should play anymore. Stick us in Serie B and we'll try and get promoted. And there's somebody who at least he's got the, the courage of his convictions on that one. If Paul Barber feels that strongly that the sporting integrity of the whole thing is going to be compromised and that uh, the Premier League should not restart at uh, using neutral venues. Fine, don't play. Have the courage of your conviction. See this through. Withdraw from the competition. Get relegated and then come fight your way back up. But what it will be is it will be like, oh, okay, well, we're not happy about it, but well, I suppose we will play. And it will be like, well, at least we tried. Trying to favour Brighton's own interests and uh, and obviously the fact that it would be in Leeds' interests for them to be relegated so that they have to sell Ben White is a is a completely separate matter. It's a total bullshit cash-led argument, isn't it? I think that's the thing with it. They've seen this as an opportunity to go, well, we don't want to go down, so we'll not. And then they said, because they have also said that they'd be more open to the idea of playing games behind closed doors if they can not be relegated at the end of it, and if they can still get the TV money. They just want absolutely everything. And the idea that, I mean, it seems to have come out now that the TV companies are saying, well, if there's no relegation, that isn't what we signed up for. Like, the fundamental misunderstanding of why a Premier League game is worth money to a TV company. Like, you would essentially be buying, I don't know who Brighton have got left to play, because I don't give a shit, but the idea of, you know, Brighton against Bournemouth, it essentially, what would essentially be a pre-season friendly. Like, no one is going to want to watch that. Even fans of Bournemouth and Brighton probably couldn't be asked watching it because it's meaningless nonsense. And what is, what is the function of it? It's not a Premier League match. This podcast is brought to you with The Athletic. We've got the podcast with Phil Hay from The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show comes out every Friday morning, first thing UK time. And during lockdown, we are giving you the chance to pick one of the topics on the show. So have a look at Phil's Twitter feed. Decide what it is that you uh, you would like us to talk about. And vote, vote, vote away, and we will talk about it. On top of that, this week, we are going to be talking in depth as well about Phil's research into Bournemouth, because we're recording this on the 30th anniversary uh, of the Bournemouth promotion. You can listen to that show if you are a subscriber 
and to all the Athletics podcasts, over 120 of them worldwide, ad-free via the app. And you can obviously find all Phil's articles on The Athletic as well. 400 of the world's best sports writers out there on there doing their thing, telling fantastic stories. There are no ads, no pop-ups, and no clickbait. There is still a free trial with 50% off a subscription. If you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Well, during this unfortunate time, during the COVID lockdown, we have also lost Trevor Cherry on the back of Norman Hunter passing away just a couple of weeks back now. It's been a terribly sad time for Leeds, hasn't it, as a club in terms of losing people? I mean, Trevor Cherry is before our time, but what do we know of him? If only we had somebody here who'd written a a book about the history of Leeds United who could possibly step up to the plate here. He's He's a quiet character, but one that deserves maybe a bit of reappraisal. One thing I'd that I hadn't really taken on board until I read it in, I think it was Rob Bagchi's obituary in The Telegraph, I think he writes for. Rob's very good anyway, and a Leeds fan. Made the point that after Billy Bremner, no player has captained more Leeds United games than Trevor Cherry. I think because he captained Leeds after 1976, basically through the decline and the fall into uh, Division 2, he left a few months after relegation when he went to be um, player manager at Bradford that kind of falls by the wayside a little bit where he doesn't get get remembered as as much but him and Eddie Gray were the two players who were kind of the absolute constants during that that period and come out of it with their their heads held high I don't think you could ever I've never heard anybody criticize Trevor Cherry for anything really I think even um, he was the first England player to be sent off in a friendly in Argentina. It wasn't even then. Uh, it was noted that he'd got, uh, he had, I think, two teeth knocked out by a punch that was um, the reply to his, his tackle. And so he, uh, even then you'd be like, well, you know, there was mitigating circumstances around it. I think it's interesting that he's a bit of a West Yorkshire legend. I'm sure Halifax Town would have given him a couple of games if he'd asked, but to play for Huddersfield and then... Leeds and Bradford as uh, player manager, then manager, and be well regarded by all of them. It's kind of a, it does make him feel, it's a bit of a parochial thought, but I do quite like those West Yorkshire characters. I sort of, I put him alongside like a Harry Gratian or, or John Helm, who the rest of the, the the world and the country know about, but they don't know him the way we do. I think it's telling as well that his, his first England cap is the quiz question about, um, Trevor Cherry, which is like how he was the the odd player out in the glory days at Leeds, and it's because he was the only Leeds United player who wasn't a full international until Don Revy became England manager and gave him his his first cap. And I think that says something about how his career kind of went, where it's like the players who knew him and the manager who, who knew him knew how good he was, but to everybody else, he was just kind of this this quiet fellow, and he's like, oh yeah, he's the the guy in midfield for Leeds or left back for Leeds or right back for Leeds or central defence for Leeds. And yeah, just a, a good player. And um, we touched on the Bradford fire earlier and everybody in Bradford seems to remember his um, his decency and his leadership. And I mean, basically the, the sheer number of funerals and, and events that he had to, to go to during that time. And then a lot of Bradford fans reading around it still disappointed that I think it was about two or three games after they finally got to Valley Parade. They were mid-table in Division 2 where uh, he'd got them uh, promoted to and then kept them in that division and then he got sacked. And I think 
a lot of Bradford fans still look back on him. I think they're of the age where he's the the first manager they knew when they were growing up, but it's still regarded even after they've been in the the Premier League um, and whatnot since as um, the architect of one of their best teams. Yeah, it's annoying that um, just weeks after losing Norman Hunter, the player who was basically signed as his replacement, has is, uh, is also been lost as well. It is interesting what you say there about the West Yorkshire characters, because I, I agree with you on that sense. It's kind of a little bit like Terry Yorath as well, who you didn't mention in that list, who's, who's done the rounds of the clubs around here. It's never nice when you lose somebody, but at least there is a wider appreciation outside of one club that a, a region can pay tribute to people like this. I found it interesting reading the Huddersfield Town stuff that he's still an absolute hero there despite joining Leeds. One of the things, uh, it was an old interview with him that the Huddersfield Town put some extracts on the website and it was basically saying how his dad didn't want him to go to Leeds because he was a massive Huddersfield Town fan and he so he was completely against it. But over time, even you know him and the rest of the Huddersfield fans just accepted what a good job he'd done for them and what a great job he went on to do for Leeds. I think it's interesting as well looking at, you know, he played 188 games for Huddersfield before moving to the what at the time was pretty much the best team in the country, which is, I think it just shows how things have changed as well, that you could, these days, a, a promising young player gets swept up after they've played, you know, a season maybe in the, out of the Premier League, doesn't they, but to uh, to have done what for some players now is like half a career, all before move, making his big move is amazing. As we mentioned earlier on, then 30 years since Bournemouth, we're recording on the anniversary of that promotion. That's gone by quick. I mean, you two are probably too young to remember this, but I was just just able to uh, to enjoy it and I was there I was just coming up for my 12th birthday and Phil has written anything about um, this on The Athletic and he spoke to my dad and I spoke to him as well about our memories of the day uh, how do you feel about Bournemouth just as a sort of general a concept I was reading um, a, a clipping from a newspaper that someone had put on Twitter today I, I'm not sure where it had come from but it was like a list of things that Leeds should do to say sorry for it and it was the most ridiculous bit of pearl clutching you've ever seen it was that we should the flag should be at half mast. They should put a pound on every ticket to that money should go to Bournemouth. The money for from the promotion should be distributed to the policemen who were on duty that day. You know, the black armbands. It was it was ridiculous. You would think we'd been responsible for a, a genocide as opposed to, you know, a bit of a riot. I mean, like I say, I have no memory of this whatsoever, but reading that article made me favour Leeds <laughs> just because it was so ridiculous. It was quite interesting looking at the comments for Leith. Uh, Phil's article because it was co-written with their their Bournemouth correspondent. A lot of Bournemouth fans still absolutely refusing to forgive Leeds United in any way. And one particularly vociferous respondent on there who keeps he's got a lot of comments that he's racked up already is is basically fuming that Leeds got away with with no punishment, which I think is forgetting a little bit of a detail from the time that Leeds United's punishment was a a suspended punishment. But it was basically that if there was any hint of trouble in the entire 1990-91 back in the first division season, we would have games behind closed doors. Four games was going to be the punishment, which back then when the uh, the TV money was minuscule, that's your income. So four home matches out of how many would we have played? Maybe 18 or so. You're not getting on for a big chunk of your income not coming into the club um, as a punishment. And then if there was a, a second incident, the Football League and the FA were going to close Leeds United down. So we were two incidents away from having the entire football club closed. So to say there was there was no sanction, it absolutely, and I know from speaking to, uh, I interviewed Seth Pod 
about that time years ago and he said that it was terrible for everybody at Leeds because they were terrified of, of what might happen. And the thing he, he said about Bournemouth that he was never sure about was how many of the, the key troublemakers were Leeds fans. And he was certain, not so much about Bournemouth in particular, but there was a thing at Leeds United Games at the time where, um, because of the reputation of the club, if you were a somebody from who followed whatever team and wanted to cause trouble, you'd go to a Leeds game, pretend to be Leeds fans, and start smashing things up. And um, and his real fear for Leeds going back in the, the first division was they'd done a lot of work since he, he came in as uh, as to work on the community side the same month as Howard Wilkinson became manager. It was absolutely key in the fight against racism at Elland Road, setting up the family stand, going out into the community. He used, used to phone up some people in, in Chapel Town who had an interest in football and say, well, why don't you come to Leeds? And they'd say, oh, well, we've, we've heard it's, got, it's a bit racist and it's a bit violent. It says, well, if you come down, you'll sit in a, a place with me and you can see what you think. And, and he was doing it on that kind of level, doing all this work that had worked to a, a large extent. 1989-90 was not a season compared to some in, in Leeds' history that was marked by crowd trouble. And his real fear was that people from outside who Leeds United had no influence over and had no way of controlling would be going to Leeds games, targeting them and using them as a way of getting Leeds United shut down. So a lot did ride on Leeds for the rest of the season. When there was a, an incident at Main Road, the first game when we were on TV Sunday afternoon, there were seats broken then and a, a lot of back and forth. And there was a, a feeling within the club well, that that could be the one. That could be the, the one that really screws us and, and starts, a, starts a big problem. But thankfully, the, um, the FA let that one slide. I've just found the full list. I've, um, I've retweeted it if anyone wants to see the full thing, but um, there's some brilliant ones there as well. Number 11 on the list. Former players like Norman Hunter, Johnny Giles and Billy Bremner should publicly voice their disgust over the tannoy, which is a great image. These people just come on and go, you fucking pigs. What were you doing? You disgust me, all of you. On that, at the uh, after the, the Bournemouth game, we had a friendly with Genoa where we lifted the second division trophy and there's footage of... Um, Howard Wilkinson standing on the pitch with Bill Fotherby and the whole first team squad. And he says to the crowd, if, you, if you're if you standing next to somebody who you know caused trouble at Bournemouth, tell them we don't want them at the club or tell us and we'll ban them from the club. So it happened. Did they also insist that no players sign autographs before or after the match? Because that was one of the things. And um, finally, the team should not blow kisses, wave and take back slapping from fans, knowing that some of them are those who blacken Leeds' name and football's name. Is if you can just snub every single every single fan there who's been there for the entire season. Ah, uh, joy. Well, we'll speak more about Bournemouth and the fallout with Phil later on in the week. But nice now then to be able to talk about some actual football stuff for once. Obviously, we haven't had any for a couple of months. We've been linked with a centre-back, Freiburg centre-back called, well, how do you pronounce this surname? Robin? Cock. That's not nice, is it? That's how I'm going for it. Why, why would you say it? Cock. <laughs> Struggle to get your mouth around it. Etc. He sounds good, doesn't he? Although he he seems to be being talked about as a Ben White replacement, which I'm not sure about. Where has this been reported, by the way? A few places. Because it, he, the thing with uh, Robin Cog is he's the guy who, when Victor Orta was doing a, an interview about how he scouts players, he opened up his file as an example as a player Leeds had watched and weren't interested in signing particularly. And I think... Even before the lockdown, it was basically being re- recycled every six weeks as Leeds interested in Robin Cock because they could quote this Victor Rota thing. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it's probably bollocks then. Let's not bother. Cock story bollocks. 
load of old cock. Yeah, I would think so. But you've got to, you know, if uh, if Danny Mills ain't talking, you've got to find something else to fill your clickbait websites, haven't you? Well, just for the record, Freiburg centre half, ten million pound move length. He's twenty three, six foot three, two German caps. The end. Right, brilliant. Matthias Bogus, he ain't happy though, is he? <laughs> I was just going to say before that we got to move with the times though, because today's hot tip doing the rounds is of uh, Paris FC defender is the uh, is a twenty eight year old uh, who is now the new Ben White replacement. He's called Samuel Yoohoo, which is. Um, <laughs> I'm all in favour of. Uh, Samuel Yuhu is drawing attention from Leeds United and Coventry City, according to claims from France. L'Etienne Sport states that the 28-year-old has attracted interest from clubs across Europe, especially from Leeds. What level do they play at? Uh, League 2, but he's going to be out of contract and he's not expected to continue in the French second division next season. Apart from Leeds, Coventry City... Are also interested in Yuhu's services as well as a Serie B side Croton. Seems a bit like they might have thrown Leeds in there to try and drum up a bit of interest, I'll be honest. Do you think? <laughs> and in our glorious new Premier League world where we're swimming in millions and millions and millions of pounds and playing behind closed doors, I want glamour. I want big names, not these second rate players. Give me a better player. Anyway, Mateus Bogus mentioned him before there. But is he genuinely miffed or has this just been mistranslated? I spent some time. With the first sentence of this and uh, Google Translate, and it's been translated as "I'm angry that I don't get a chance." But the the uh, the Polish word for angry, "I'm angry." The the key word is "verksum" or "verkers." I suppose it's a silent W, isn't it? "Kersum." Yeah, the the little sentence on its own translates as "I get angry," which is different to "I am angry." You know, I get angry when I'm. When I don't get a chance is a is a different thing, and the because alone can translate to annoy. So I think he's not angry; he's just disappointed. Frustration. That's it, and the rest of it sounds fine. He says that um, uh, when he looks at his own development and how it's working here, I can tell you honestly, I feel I've developed incredibly. For example, in terms of in- endurance, I could jump in the team at any time, play ninety minutes, take on as much effort as a first team player. There'd be no problem. He said that. Um, uh, some Polish teams were interested in taking him on loan in January, but Leeds didn't want to agree. And uh, he says, but uh, later I also noticed the work I do here will bring great results someday. I just don't know when. I talked a lot about it with Matches Click and with others, and they said that a coach like Bielsa, this preparation, I might not have again in my entire career. So if it's hard now, in the future it can only be easier. I like that, and I like that it shines a light on what Bielsa brings to Leeds and the way that the squad value that as well. People like Click and a lot of the other players, you would imagine, look at Bielsa and think it's a real privilege to have had this opportunity. Yeah, now he's fucking off to Napoli, so um, <laughs> or at least he's being linked with a summer move because he uh, they wanted him before he came to Leeds. I mean, if people like the thing is more or less our entire squad is full of people like Click and Dallas who have been around the block a bit and are now all of a sudden infinitely better than they've ever been in their careers so to get in at that level of education as a teenager is can only be a good thing for him so just stay and be good be good in a few years 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Levi Solicitors, our podcast partner, offering 20% off for key workers during the COVID lockdown. 10% off for everybody else who goes through the square ball. They want to say thanks to everybody who's keeping things ticking over for us at the moment during the crisis as the lockdown starts to ease. If you have legal matters that need sorting out, be moving house across this whole process, or maybe you kicked it off uh, before the lockdown and you need to pick things up, get in touch with Levi's, take advantage of the discounts on offer. There's loads of other areas that they do on top of conveyancing on the personal side, uh, wills, probate, all that kind of stuff, dispute resolution. And if you're a business owner, there is business property stuff, debt recovery, employment, licensing, and a whole load of other stuff. It's 10% off with a square ball discount, or you can increase that to 20% if you are a key worker. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Right, gentlemen, as people have been speaking out quite a lot in this last uh, this last week or so, it shouldn't be too difficult for us to find some heroes and villains. We have some football action cranking up again. We'll start off with the Ken Bates Villainy Award, if we may. Somebody who has done wrong by us across the last seven days. Regular listeners will know that we start off with a nomination for Ken Bates, or at least a Ken Bates we have tracked down somewhere, because our original one, Ken Bates 1.0, doesn't really do much these days, so we have to find other ones, including... Councilman Ken Bates from Casper, Wyoming in the United States of America. So who's taking the Ken Bates nomination this week? Well, I'll, I'm just going to play you this little clip and you, you, we can talk about it afterwards. Hello, you have reached a voicemail for Councilman Kenneth Bates and his family. Please leave a message after the tone and we will return your call as soon as possible. Thank you. Does he return my calls? Does he fuck? Absolute dodging essentially i mean as far as he knows i could be a, a voter in the second district which he is seeking re-election for next year apparently he's already announced that and he can't even be bothered to pick up his phone did you leave a message well uh, well no i've tried to ring him a few times though never answers i've tried to ring four times now not once i've tried various times of the day i've tried different days i'm going to start trying in the middle of the night to be honest just to get him out of bed if it happens to be ringing I mean, it'll be easier for you than it will be for him well, exactly what's the time difference um i th- Think I've, I've been making the calls late at night because I think that's the um, that's kind of office hours in Casper. Yeah, make them during the middle of the day and get him out of bed. 
in addition to ignoring us as well, he, uh, he also hates the disabled. So that's why, uh, that's why he's nominated this week. You might want to expand upon that perhaps a little bit, Michael, if you could. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's good enough to be honest. Um, basically, there was a thing called Casper's Council for People with Disabilities. Um, and it's just changed its name to Casper's Council of People with Disabilities. And there's him and one other councilman who's Councilman Steve Cathy. Uh, and they're, they're really not into it. They, he's furious about this. He thinks it, uh, Cathy said the council was intended to be for people with disabilities, not just made up of people with disabilities. I mean, they just, the reason why they changed the name is because it's more of like a thing of representing themselves, etc. It's quite a simple little change, but, but Bates doesn't. He doesn't approve for some reason. How dare they wish to advocate for their own interests? Well, Michael, I think you have successfully fleshed out what is just a personal opinion there about a councilman candidates and his feelings towards the disabled. Uh, who else would you like to nominate for villainy this week, please? Uh, these clubs at the bottom of the Premier League who are trying to weasel their way out of relegation and have somehow convinced themselves that they want to that the, what the population really wants is for their television to be filled with glorified friendlies. And then they just get to keep the money and have no repercussions whatsoever. Stop being dicks. People are dying. I'm totally on board with us making plans for football to come back while the uh, the death counts are still in the hundreds every day because we've got to make plans. Just try not to be dicks while it's going on because it makes you look really bad. I'm sure it was pretty much day one of this that Karen Brady was like, oh, well, that's it. We'll just cancel the season. Yeah. Yeah. All agreed yet to be like, well, hang on, it's only we've only had like three cases in England so far. And she's like, yeah, I think it's best if we just cancel it, start again. Yep, nice one. So it just, when that's already gone on weeks and weeks ago, it's hard to not see this as ridiculous self interest coming through. And while we're there, could we have loads and loads of money, millions maybe, out of the public purse for our stadium? How about that? There is a, a bit of a contrast with the way, I mean, we've only really got Angus Kinnear's word for this, but it does seem to be the the general vibes and what Phil Hayes reporting as, as well, saying that in the championship, everybody's pretty much agreed that because Leeds and West Brom are top, top two, then whatever happens should probably go up. And the the way that the, the championship conversation is being spoken about, it sounds like everybody's a little bit more sensible. And even though I think there's been some talk where Luton aren't that keen on playing the rest of the season because it's going to um, cost them could potentially cost them money like they can't really afford to have games behind closed doors it seemed from the the conversations that are going on that everybody in the championship is pretty much oh no no actually if we can we can try and get the the season finished on the pitch as a as a whole and we'll we'll look out for each other there's there's a little bit of that going on whereas in the premier league it's just everybody being a <laughs> and just for the record those six losers in no particular order well, let's go bottom to top shall we norwich city 21 points Aston Villa, 25 points. Bournemouth, 27 points. Then comes the relegation line. Watford, also 27 points. West Ham United, also 27 points. Brighton, 29 points. And then this is strange. Now, that's the six clubs who've done it, right? Then you jump up to 14th position in the Premier League. Southampton, who are five points clear of Brighton with 34 points. Not a peep. Not a peep. And it's interesting as well that majorities in the Premier League, if they want to carry off a particular ruling or a decision, 14 teams, so it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out, won't it? I know we, I mentioned Chilino before and the, the courage of his convictions, but what I, I did like as well about his attitude towards Brescia being relegated, if that's what it comes to, is, well, we've been crap, so it's fine. And if you want to uh, retain the sporting integrity of a competition, then, you know, we've played a 
most of the season. So if your team has been crap for most of the season, I think there's more sporting in- integrity in relegating the useless shits than insulating them from any kind of punishment for a season of absolute dog shit football. So there's some sporting integrity that uh, Brighton and West Ham and the rest can stick in their pipes and smoke. And I'd be interested to know what a pipe full of dog shit smells like when you smoke it. Maybe they can let us know. Who else would you like to nominate for villainy? Speaking of those websites where they just ask ex-professionals something so they can get some clicks, Darren Bent said Ewan Klopp should sign Calvin Phillips. He shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. Absolutely not. Back off, sunshine. He should fuck right off. I did enjoy (laughs) one of the headlines that I I avoided clicking on was uh, Danny Mills makes admission over Qatar State's takeover of Leeds United. Is he going to admit that actually it's him? (laughs) Admits, I don't know anything about it. I think that was probably more accurate. (laughs) But I have been paid £100 to have this opinion, so thank you very much for that. Uh, The rules state that the Ken Bates cannot win the Villainy Award uh, because, well, that's just the rule. I don't know where it came from. It just is the rule. So in lieu of his hatred of the disabled, we're going to have to, in terms of sporting integrity for this competition, we're going to have to give it to the Premier League clubs, aren't we here? trying to weasel their way out of relegation. Yeah, it's not an actual person, but, I mean, what's the Brighton guy's name? Paul Barber. Paul Barber. Or Karen Brady, she can have it either. We have given it to entities before. And I'm sure, I mean, you think how many times Sean Harvey's won, and he's, you know, barely human. (laughs) (laughs) So is it the the Premier League's bottom six? Are they, uh, Are they having it this time? They are. That seems absolutely fine to me. On to the Andy Hughes Hero Award then somebody who's done good buyers across the last seven days. The opposite side of the coin to all those shit houses. Who's your hero nomination this week? They should have probably had a nomination for this before, but Leeds United for the clapping videos, just because I really look forward to them every week because there's always someone who surprises you on there. Like the, when it was Batty the other week and seeing like Howard Wilkinson on it. It's nice, isn't it? Yes, yeah, very. The, the, uh, the highlight of last week, not only getting Rod Wallace out for the people, which is always a, a joy to see him, but... Um, a separate nomination for um, Andrew Hughes, Villain of the Week. Andrew Hughes, that's one hell of a lockdown beard. And he, incredibly hairy arms as well. I worry that uh, this lockdown is somehow sending evolution backwards. And he might, if we see him on a future video, he might be scampering around on all fours. How's your hair looking, Moscow, during this? Uh, fine, I cut it at the weekend. I've been home haircutting for years because I'm cheap and because my old barber used to be quite horrendously sexist and have a huge <laughs> beer gut that he'd kind of rest on my shoulder and shove in my cheek. And I thought, for, for the fiver I'm paying, I could probably do something else with that five quid. So I, I got the hang of just... Um, I'm not very good at it. I think a lot of people are discovering that cutting your own hair is not a particularly easy task unless you want a number one all over. But it does the job. A couple of days, wash it, let it grow. Yeah, I've so far left mine alone, but it is getting a little bit unkempt now. I'm starting to resemble, you know, the guy from Weatherspoons. Is his name Tim Martin, the owner? <laughs> you know, that kind of uh, scarecrow, I don't know, hobo chic kind of look. That's me. What about you, Michael? How's yours? Sustainable. That's how my hair is. I was thinking about, I don't think I've actually had been into a hairdresser in this country in about 20 years now. So that's good, isn't it? That's cheap. Because even before I went bald, um, optionally, of course, I was basically just cutting it myself. I kind of did a number four all over, then a bit shorter up the sides from being about 16 onwards. I think essentially once it, it, once it reached the point where I had to pay for my own haircuts, I just started doing it myself. And uh, yeah, it works. I have noticed Matt Clicker started putting on Instagram like um, 
photos of himself when he came straight out of the the barbers and then photos of what can only be described now as a dead trim and he's looking very disappointed with himself on haircuts actually we should nominate um poppy poppy weller yes poppy weller luke ailing's um girlfriend She's who was the best. butchered who has butchered his glorious hair he showed it at the back and she seems to have tried to put us well, she's tried to. There seems to be like a step in the neckline, which is an unusual way to cut hair. I would say as well, I mean, that's always the bit that I find challenging when I'm cutting my own, is to try and get a steady line. Um, that's because you can't see. Across the top of the neck. Yes, I was going to say, but I've definite advantages over Poppy Weller in this. I don't know. I think, fortunately for Luke, he can just bring the hair down, can't he, and let it flow over the... Uh, jagged it's like uh, do you remember the old celtic away kit that looked like um charlie brown's top he's got that going across his neck was it slovakia at the world cup who brought that back that might be a more up-to-date reference for our younger listeners who else would you like to nominate as heroes we've had oh we've had lee johnson haven't we saying nice things about bielsa this time he should go in little fella <laughs> it's an education apparently i wonder what uh, i hope somebody at the, his barber shop is keeping his booster cushion clean he still he gets sits to sit in, in the, the, uh, the uh, car <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You can tell we've both got um, boys, can't you? Gets a little lolly and a sticker afterwards or something for being good. I mean, the quotes we've got here from him about Bielsa, do you want to just uh, dwell on the first three words? As it stands. Didn't realise he was standing. Hey. Very good. Although, unfortunately, he does talk about, when he's talking about the education in the championship, he also gives praise to the Yapstam's Reading team as well, which is kind of undoes the good work of praising Bielsa because he clearly doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, that's exactly the phrase I was going to use. He's just basically naming some managers that other people say are good and saying that he's learned a lot from them. It's, it's almost an education every game that you're going to in the championship. I mean, I suppose if you're fucking... If you've, if... That's, that's not how they sound in Bristol. I was going to say, if you're fucking thick as fuck, everything's an education, isn't it? <laughs> so we put, coupled with the fact, uh, he's talking about Bielsa, that we, coupled with the fact we've been lucky enough to have good cup runs and go against the likes of Mourinho's Man United and Guardiola's Man City. It's just basically naming managers who've beaten him. Yeah, what he's doing is he's naming managers so he can be considered their peer. That's what he's doing, isn't he? Saying, look, I've, it's the old Warnock, isn't it? Yeah, I've been in the same stadium as Yapstam and Marcelo Bielsa once ruffled my hair and, ooh, I once watched Mourinho and Guardiola take me apart. Idiots. But anyway, not, yeah, nice nomination. He's not, he's not quite got to the uh, the Warnock level of calling them Jose and Pep, but he's uh, he's definitely on his way there. I said to myself, I wonder if I wonder if Jose sits in a racing car to have his hair cut. <laughs> you know that um, Warnock does that, and they don't even know who he is, don't you? He's doing it so he can pretend he's pally with them, and they just do not have a clue. Oh yeah, I remember Sir Alex. He, uh, I invited me for a glass of wine after a game in uh, in, in two thousand and six. He's he's never forgotten it. Oh, it's a great memory for him when he had uh, when he had old Colin as uh, as he kept calling me in his room. Very loud he was. Very very loud voice. He, he he gave me some great advice. Never forgotten his advice. It was get the fuck out of my office. It was I mean, you know moments like that. He uh, he'll be he'll be looking back on that during the lockdown. He'll be uh, happy to share those moments. Premier League history. That's what it is. I like the idea that Lee Johnson might have received an autograph and a little pat on the head from Guardiola, thinking he was the mascot or something. Like, wait, wait, you with your mum and dad? Oh, brilliant. Hope you have a lovely day. And speaking of Bielsa, who we mentioned there, and Guardiola, um, Amaric Laporte has been nice about him as well. Yes, says him and Guardiola are maybe the two best managers in the world. They're very different, but they know everything about football. Different things, but they know everything. 
which suggests they can't know everything if they both know different things. But anyway, we're not, let's not pick him up too much on the uh, semantics of it. Are you really missing Bielsa? I'm really, really missing him. And I think it hit home particularly on Saturday because I started thinking about promotion and uh, what it would have been like. And then it led me onto the thought of how would Bielsa have celebrated? Would he be on the shoulders doing Leeds Carajo? Or would he have just disappeared off down the tunnel at full time and reluctantly emerged as the crowd was singing his name? But all of that, I just, I just want him back in my life. That's what I do. I want him back. I need him back. I want you back, Marcelo. We definitely wouldn't have seen him. He'd have been hidden away, wouldn't he? If anything, he might have been dragged out of a tunnel and just be pointing at players, is all he would have done. It was all them lot, not me. It was them lot. This is not my glory. Yeah, yeah. It was those same players who were absolutely shit before I arrived. They've done this. And who else would you like to nominate? Uh, Rick Parry. Uh, yes. For yeah, yeah, yeah. The aforementioned reasons, not being Sean Harvey, uh, being absolutely key among them. I mean, Rick, Rick Parry's uh, record in football is not blemish-free. He's never been a, a particularly a, a shining figure in the game, but I feel... I I like the fact that he at least is competent. And he does seem, let's speak seriously for a minute, being the, the new guy in the job, he has, over the last season, come in and made a bit of a, a mark of desperately trying to undo all the shit Sean Harvey has caused. Um, and for that, you know, I respect him. And certainly today, his performance at the, the DCMS committee, I particularly liked it was highlighted by... Um, I think David Conn pointed out that the Premier League had been there and talked about how they give, uh, I think it's they give four hundred million pounds to the uh, the EFL, and um, Paris basically comes straight in afterwards and said, "Yeah, but they give it all to six clubs in parachute payments, and the rest of us get fuck all." And these are the things that um, you would hope somebody in the the football league would start saying back to the Premier League. If we're nominating Rick Parry for being not Sean Harvey, can we go back and nominate Sean Harvey as a villain for still being Sean Harvey? presuming he still is. I don't see why not. I mean, I know he's not actually doing anything at the moment, but he's still being a prick somewhere. Just sat in his expensive kitchen being Sean Harvey, isn't he? That's all he's doing. Exactly. I bet you he's, if he's asked to queue on his way into Waitrose, I bet he's like a metre away from other people, isn't he? Everyone else is two metres, and he's just like, hmm? I, I'm far enough away. I can't possibly breathe on you from here. Be that sort of thing. Just minor infractions. Right then, who is your hero of the week? Harry Hughes, Leeds United. I don't know. It's uh, what what the lockdown was needing was a Saddam Hussein impersonator, and I think he's he's the one we were crying out for. <laughs> I want to see Andy Hughes naked now. I don't even mind saying it. I'm intrigued. <laughs> wow, what a what a place to leave it. <laughs> I think there'll be quite a hanging garden there. <laughs> but Babylon's still there. Still Babylon. <laughs> Right, congratulations, uh, congratulations, Andy Hughes. Wow, sorry for that. If you're listening, and that's the vision you take away from this, a naked Andrew Hughes. Well, we've seen him semi-naked anyway, haven't we? Yeah, and if he wants to DM Michael the the rest, I'm sure that can be arranged. We can probably take this opportunity to apologise for dropping him during the uh, the Football Manager marathon when the, uh, the 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 one bit when we we knew he'd tuned in. We just dropped him, even after having not had him in the team pretty much all season. But it was a warranted dropping, it has to be said. Well, we'll wrap it up there for this one. All our other podcasts can be found at thesquareball.net. Same place as well. You will find links to our mugs and T-shirts and merchandise. We'd love it if you signed up to the Extra Ball as well as we continue our journey through 2009-10. We'll speak to you in a bit. Thanks for listening to this one. Bye-bye. The Square Ball Podcast.